for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith, of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, if you've been listening for a while, you know that every show is a little bit different. And now I'm going to go back on this show to something that I have done in the past, which is share some spiritual uh, reading, actually, that I have been engaged in recently, and it's uh, affected me profoundly. And I think it's uh, something that's a little bit underemphasized. So my plan for today is to read some brief excerpts from a book by a um, Father Garagou Lagrange, who was one of the primary Catholic theologians, actually, of the middle of the 20th century. If I'm not mistaken, he was the dissertation director for Pope John Paul II, before he was Pope, needless to say. And uh, he's, he's a, a, um, a great, great, great um, mystical theologian. And the book I'm going to be reading from is called The Three Ways of the Spiritual Life. And it is basically it talks about the interior transformation, which is the purpose of a state of grace, the working of grace in our soul to essentially prepare us for heaven, which is, of course, the purpose of life on earth. So that's what I'm going to be doing today. This is a live a call-in show, and I don't have a guest for the show. So if you wish to call in, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Or uh, if you prefer using Skype or if you're out of the country and can use Skype, the Skype address here is Radio Maria USA Studio. So um, with that, I should probably just launch in. I'll try to keep an eye on the, um, on the uh, message board. So if anyone calls in, I will interrupt myself to take your, your call. And so uh, I'm just going to launch in. Um, let me maybe give a little bit of an introduction, which is, you know, a lot of us are serious Christians. A lot of us are serious Catholics who are listening to the show. Uh, you're more than welcome if you're a non-Catholic Christian, needless to say. Um, but the the truth is that we understand that heaven is our destiny, and we understand that we want to live life on earth in order to get into heaven. And we understand that the morality with which we live and our faith in Jesus and so forth are um, necessary components for us to have a very happy eternity in heaven. But um, we've kind of left aside a real, almost like scientific understanding of the transformation in the soul that's supposed to take place during life in order to enable us to enter into God's own life after we die. Uh, we tend to think of it as kind of like getting a high school diploma or something or getting a college degree that, you know, when we die, we'll be judged. And, you know, if we get approved, we get our ticket into heaven. But the uh, Catholic theological tradition and certainly mystical tradition is that that's not really the heart of the story. The heart of the story is that by living a life of grace, 
an interior transformation takes place in our souls, which then enables our souls to, in some sense, uh, be divinized, actually, flow, flow into a union with God when we die. And so that's basically what this reading is going to be about or is about, is that um, uh, is that, that basically that, that process, which is in fact the uh, fundamental purpose of um, a life of grace on earth, let's say, or even life on earth. So um, with that, I'm just going to start reading Gergou Lagrange, who knows a whole lot more about this than I do, as well as being much more eloquent. It is all the more important to recall the necessity and the true nature of the interior life because the true conception of it, as given to us in the Gospels, in the Epistles of St. Paul, and in the whole of tradition, has been partially obscured by many false ideas. In the first place, it is clear that according to the Scriptures, the justification or conversion of the sinner does not merely cover his sins as with a mantle, it blots them out by the infusion of a new life. I'm going to interrupt myself. Now, here the author is drawing a contrast between the uh, Catholic understanding of, quote, justification and Luther's understanding of justification, which was that one's sins are covered as with a mantle, but um, largely ignoring the need for an interior transformation. And one of the points of Gergou Lagrange in this book is to underline the need for the interior transformation. So continuing with the reading, quote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy great mercy. So the psalmist implores. This is from Psalm... Um, hmm. Uh, boy, I can't read the, the uh, footnote. is too small to read which psalm that is. I think it's 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy great mercy, and according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my iniquity. Wash me yet more from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Thou shalt sprinkle me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall be made whiter than snow. Blot out all my iniquities, create a clean heart in me, O God, and renew a right spirit within my bowels. Cast me not away from thy face, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and strengthen me with a perfect spirit. Now, so you see already, and that's of course a psalm from the Old Testament, you see already the understanding that it is an interior transformation, a, a cleansing of the heart, that is has to be affected by God. Uh, continuing with um, Gergou Lagrange. The blotting out and remission of sins thus described by the scriptures can be effected only by the infusion of sanctifying grace and charity, which is the supernatural love of God and of men for God's sake. Ezekiel, speaking in the name of God, tells us that this is so. Quote, I will pour upon you clean water, and you shall be cleansed from all your filthiness, and I will cleanse you from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in the midst of you and I will cause you to walk in my commandments. End of the quote. Uh, that was from Ezekiel 36. So again, we see in the Old Testament already the need for an interior transformation 
and a replacement of the heart. And we're going to see as we go on with Garrigou Lagrange how central this uh, image of the heart is because one of the main points that Garrigou Lagrange is going to make is that the working of grace in the transformation of our souls is very, very, very directly linked with the um, introduction of supernatural love, supernatural charity, as he said, um, the infusion of sanctifying grace and charity, which is the supernatural love of God and of men for God's sake. In other words, it is a supernatural gift. It's not something that we can produce on our own. Continuing with uh, Gergou Lagrange, this pure water which regenerates is the water of grace, of which it is said in the Gospel of St. John, quote, of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. By our Lord Jesus Christ we have received grace. We, re- we read in the Epistle to the Romans, the charity of God is poured forth in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given to us. And the Epistle to the Ephesians, to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the giving of Christ. So you can already see where we're going with this, or where Garrigou Lagrange is going with this, which is that the uh, real fruitfulness of life on earth, the real purpose on life on earth, is not simply to chalk up enough credits versus demerits so that we get rewarded with heaven. It is to have an interior transformation take place. We're on earth for a good long time, right? Most of us are stuck here for 50, 60, 70 years. You know, it's not just about the final exam at the end. Those 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years are for us to make use of the interior life, for to basically have our interior grow continually in love of God and in love of neighbor and in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so that, as I said, so that we're kind of already three-quarters of the way towards the, quote, divinization, close quote, which happens when we enter the beatific vision and, in some sense, spend the rest of eternity in the intimate presence of God face-to-face. Okay, continuing with Garagou Lagrange. Um, Sanctifying grace, the principle of our interior life, makes us truly the children of God because it makes us partakers of his nature. We cannot be sons of God by nature, as the word is, but we are truly sons of God by grace and by adoption. And whereas a man who adopts a child brings about no interior change in him, but simply declares him his heir, God, when he loves us as adoptive sons, transforms us inwardly, giving us a share in his own intimate divine life. I'm going to repeat that sentence. God, when he loves us as adoptive sons, transforms us inwardly, giving us a share in his own intimate divine life. You can see where all this is going. This is the indwelling trinity. This is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is our us being transformed inwardly by this intimacy with God through sanctifying grace during this period between life and death. Continuing. Hence we read in the Gospel of St. John, quote, The word came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many received him, to them he gave the power to be made the sons of God, 
to them that believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And our Lord himself said to Nicodemus, quote, Amen, amen, I say to thee, unless a man be born again of water and the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that, is, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Wonder not that I said to thee, you must be born again. Now I'm going to um, inject something, uh, and I hope I'm justified, no pun intended, in injecting it, which is this being born again of the Spirit is not just a one-time, like baptism in the Holy Spirit experience. It may have its roots in that. It may be precipitated by that. But it is a, it's actually a lifelong transformation. Okay, continuing. I hope that that will be justified by the words of Gergou Lagrange in the near future as I continue to read. Truly, sanctifying grace is a real and formal participation of the divine nature, for it is the principle of operations which are specifically divine. When in heaven it has reached its full development and can no longer be lost, it will be the source of operations which will have absolutely the same formal object as the eternal and uncreated operations of God's own inner life. It will make us able to see him immediately as he sees himself and to love him as he loves himself. Quote, Dearly beloved, says St. John, we are now the sons of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when it shall appear, we shall be like to him, for we shall see him as he is. Close quote from uh, first letter of John, chapter 3. This is what shows us, better than anything else, in what the true nature of sanctifying grace, the true nature of our interior life, consists. We cannot emphasize it too much. It is one of the most consoling truths of our faith. It is one of those vital truths which serve best to encourage us in the midst of the trials of our life on earth. So you see... You see, the basic thrust here is that our life on earth is the beginning of our eternal life. <laughs> and um, uh, ideally, we will spend our time in, during this life on earth in beginning and growing already the um, inner man, let's say, that will participate in a, eternal life in intimacy with God forever. Okay, um, uh, continuing. To understand what our interior life is in itself and in its various phases, we must consider it not merely in its seed, but in its full and complete development. Now, if we ask the gospel what our interior life is, it tells us that the life of grace given to us in baptism and nourished by the Eucharist is the seed or germ of eternal life. Okay. The future life of which the philosophers speak, referring to pre-Christian philosophy, is a natural life, similar almost to the life of the angels, whereas eternal life, of which the gospel speaks, is essentially supernatural, as much for the angels as for us. It is not merely superhuman, 
It is super angelic, truly divine. It consists in seeing God immediately as he sees himself and in loving him as he loves himself. This is the reason why our Lord can say to you, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, because you have received a participation in his own inner life. Okay? Um, I, I have to kind of bring myself back down to earth occasionally. Um, just think, just think, just think for a moment. Think of the idiocy of trading a life of grace, which is already a participation in God's own divine life, for, you know, I don't, I don't want to name any names, but for being a multi-billionaire, for being, you know, um, in control of hundreds of thousands of people or president of the United States or, or, you know, uh, uh, names keep coming to mind. You all know the names, the, the uh, multi-billionaires that have been produced by technology in the last 10 or 15 years. And what an idiocy it is to trade um, uh, the beginning of a life with God on earth and an eternity of a life with God after death for the trinkets of, um, you know, of wealth or fame or power on earth. Uh, continuing, I shouldn't preach, probably I should let Gary Lagrange say what he's saying. Uh, the Gospels, and especially the Gospel of St. John, tell us more about grace. We are told that grace is eternal life already begun. Our spiritual progress cannot tend in the direction of the life of, of eternity unless it presupposes the seed of it already existing in us, a seed of the same nature as the life towards which we are tending. In the natural order, the germ which is contained in the acorn could never grow into an oak tree unless it were of the same nature as the oak if it did not contain the life of the oak in a latent state. The little child, likewise, could never become a man if it had not a rational soul if reason were not already latent within it. In the same way, a Christian on earth could never become one of the blessed in heaven unless he had already received the divine life in baptism. And just as it is impossible to know the nature of the germ enclosed within the acorn unless we study it in the perfect state in the oak tree, so we cannot know the life of grace unless we consider it in its ultimate development, in that glory which is the consummation of grace. Grace, says the whole of tradition, is the seed of glory. Okay, something just occurred to me. Put yourself in the position for a moment of Satan, if I can be so bold. You can see why Satan hates mankind so much. Because Lucifer was the highest of the angels, right? The most powerful, the most glorious of the angels. Um, but he fell. And man, us, insignificant, sinful, weak, just think of how insignificant we are compared to St. Michael the Archangel or Lucifer, the, 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 the power and the glory of these archangels compared to the weakness and insignificance and stupidity of man. And yet, we are actually called to a higher destiny 
that, than that which was available to Lucifer if he hadn't fallen. Because we're actually called to a destiny of participating in divinity. The angels are not called to a destiny of participating in divinity. Think of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Blessed Virgin Mary, we all know, all of us who are Catholics know, is the queen of the angels. She's the queen of the angels. That means that she is, in some sense, superior to the angels. She is of a, is of a higher nature than the angels, or at least in her current state, a higher nature, maybe not by nature, so to speak, but by transformation. That is what God has created when he's created us as men and women. No wonder Satan is so envious of us and resentful. Think, every time he loses a soul to God, and that soul is going to end up in heaven, he has let this worm of a creature, man, sur surpass him. Surpass him. And every time he in, uh, succeeds in damning a human soul, he has gotten a victory over this, uh, you know, this, this bold, um, uh, effrontery, you know, this, 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 this worm that doesn't deserve anything like what's waiting for him. And Satan has put him in his place. And, um, and basically destroyed him, destroyed his participation in God's life. You can see how, how the envy and the resentfulness, the resentment of Satan is perfectly expressed, has a perfect outlet in seeking the damnation of human souls rather than their divinization. I hope that made sense. By the way, I am babbling a lot, I know, talking a lot, but this is a call-in program. You're still welcome to call in. I'm happy to interrupt to answer any questions or, you know, respond to any comments or whatever. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Um, or if you prefer to use Skype, uh, it's Radio Maria USA Studio. Meanwhile, back to Garagou Lagrange. Fundamentally, it is always the same supernatural life the same sanctifying grace and the same charity, but with two differences. This is the difference between the um, life of grace on earth and the life of grace in eternity, essentially. Here on earth, we know God supernaturally, but not in the clearness of vision. We know him in the obscurity of faith. Moreover, while we hope one day to possess him finally and definitively, here on earth, it is always possible for us to lose him by a mortal sin. But in spite of these two differences relating to faith and hope, it is the same life, the same sanctifying grace, and the same charity. Now, if this hasn't encouraged, you know, our Catholic brethren to make an appointment to go to confession, I don't know what would. Because, of course, we lose that sanctifying grace when we're in a state of sin, and we regain it when we make a worthy confession and receive absolution. Um, continuing. Still, okay. Grace, then, is eternal life already begin within us. And this is why Christ says, The kingdom of God comes not with observation, neither shall they say, Look here or look there, for lo, the kingdom of God is within you. I'm going to repeat that. Grace, then, is eternal life already begun within us. And this is why Christ says, 
lo, the kingdom of God is within you. It is there hidden within you like a grain of mustard seed, like the leaven which will cause the whole of the meal to rise, like the treasure hidden in a field, like the source from which gushes a river of water that will never fail. We know, says St. John, that we have passed from death to life because we love our brethren. And these things I write to you that you may know that you have eternal life and that you believe that you, excuse me, these things I write to you that you may know that you have eternal life, you that believe in the name of the Son of God. And Christ, his beloved Master, had said, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. St. Thomas expresses his doctrine in the brief statement, Grace is nothing else but a certain beginning of glory within us. Okay, well, um, I have come to the end of a section here. I'm about to begin the next section, but I, um, I usually take a short musical break about halfway through the show, and we are about halfway through the show. And also, it's sometimes easier for people to call when they don't feel they're interrupting me because they call, can call during the break. And coming out of the break, I will look at the call board and turn to callers, take your calls, and, uh, and then go back to reading. So I think I will go to that break now. You're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Showman. And um, I've been reading from The Three Ways of the Spiritual Life by the prominent uh, Catholic uh, mystical theologian Gergou Lagrange. And we're going to go to a break. Again, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y, or on Skype, Radio Maria USA Studio, especially if you're out of the country. And... um, We'll, I'll be back in a couple of moments, and in the meantime, we have a beautiful, very appropriate uh, chant of uh, Come Lord Jesus, Come Lord Jesus, because if we've ever needed him to come, <laughs> certainly looks like it's about now. So with that, we'll go to our musical break, and when I come back, I'll look at the call board and then go on reading from Garagou Lagrange. So be back in a couple of moments. Señor Jesús, Maranatha, ven 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 Señor Jesús, Maranatha. Ven Señor Jesús Maranatha, ven Señor Jesús Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Maranatha, come 
you enjoyed that uh come lord jesus in a number of different languages including the last one being hebrew uh particularly appropriate since <laughs> that's the language he speaks uh, just kidding there at least that's the language he spoke while he was on earth uh now of course um never mind i, I won't i'll stop being silly now um and uh let's see so I will continue with reading Gergou Lagrange. It doesn't seem like we have any callers. You're still welcome to call in. Um, but anyway, for the moment, I'll continue reading what I've been reading, The Three Ways of the Spiritual Life, a brief outline of the main principles of ascetical and mystical theology by Gergou Lagrange. And again, you're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. So, continuing. We are thus able to appreciate something of the importance of true conversion by which a man passes from the state of mortal sin to the state of grace. In the former state, his energies were dissipated and he was indifferent with, with regard to God. Now he loves God more than he loves himself, more than he loves anything else. At any rate, he esteems God beyond all earthly things even though his love of God may not be free from all selfish motives. The state of sin was a state of spiritual death, a state in which, more or less consciously, he made himself the center of all his activities and the end of all his desires, in which he was actually the slave of everything, the slave of his passions, of the spirit of the world, of the spirit of evil. Now, I see that we have a caller, so I will go to the caller now. I'll continue reading um, after the call. So, are you there, caller? What's your name and where are you calling from? I'm Jean, and I'm calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, hi. Did you have a comment or a question? Um, yes, I think this is a very, very good um, program, and I think a lot more Catholics should be aware of that because, you know, I, I don't think they meant to teach us that, but, um, you know, when I was growing up... Um, I very much got the impression that, you know, about the second judgment, you're going to be judged heaven, hell, or purgatory, you know, or, you know, at the very end, just heaven or hell. And it, it, it does sometimes almost make it sound like we are just kind of trying to <laughs> say graduate as it were. Mm -hmm. um, so this is very, very good. And I think I was thinking the whole time you were talking the first half hour about the transformation that, 
that I was aware of of many of the saints, and particularly one um, who is venerable right now named Louisa Picaretta. I don't know if you heard of her, but you could kind of see her transformation, even though she very much was graced from the beginning. But her transformation as a person, um, learning to live in the divine will, learning to let go of everything of, of her desires and just want what Jesus wants, and then Jesus would want what she wants. So that the two, in a sense, would be one. And I think that's, um, you know, I was thinking of that as I was listening to you. Yeah, well, thank you very much. That's a very beautiful confirmation of what I'm doing. And yes, um, as, um, um, yeah, I was just actually starting that section. But yes, that that the goal of the infusion of supernatural love or supernatural charity is to want what God wants more than anything that we might want out of ourselves and uh, to care about what God cares right. about more than we care about anything about ourselves. Absolutely. And that's that's what we're and, here on earth for. And so many people basically waste their lives <laughs> and only wake up at the end or, yeah. you know, they, maybe they make it, you know, maybe they make it over the bar or whatever, you know, into heaven or something. But um, they haven't made use of their life on earth, which is actually made use of by taking advantage of sanctifying grace. So thank you. You're absolutely mm -hmm. confirming everything. So thanks for your call. And mm -hmm. I hope you keep listening. Thank you. And uh, I will go on okay, since it's exactly, exactly the section I'm in. Um, I'll, I'll just repeat this uh, last sentence. In the former state, his energies were dissipated and he was indifferent in regard to God. Now he loves God more than he loves himself, more than he loves anything else. At any rate, he esteems God beyond all earthly things, even though his love of God may not be free from all selfish motives. The state of sin was a state of spiritual death, a state in which more or less consciously he made himself the center of all his activities and the end of all his desires, in which he was actually the slave of everything, the slave of his passions, of the spirit of the world, of the spirit of evil. The state of grace, on the other hand, is a state of life in which man begins seriously to tend beyond himself and to make God the center of his activities, loving God more than himself. The state of grace is entrance into the kingdom of God, where the docile soul begins to reign with God over its own passions, over the spirit of the world and the spirit of evil. We may well understand, therefore, how St. Thomas could write, the lowest degree of grace in a soul, for example, in that of a small child after its baptism, is of greater value than the natural goodness of the whole universe. I am going to um, stay on that theme for a while. Gary Lagrange stays on that theme for a while. But I will just kind of underline how mind-blowing that is. That the lowest degree of grace in a soul is of greater value than the natural goodness of the whole universe. Why? Because the lowest degree of grace in a soul is actually a participation in God. And God, being uncreated, is of uh, greater intrinsic value than everything in the created universe. Um, I will continue with Gergou Lagrange again before I get into too much trouble. Um, there is a much greater distance between the nature of man 
or even between the nature of the highest of the angels and grace than there is between grace itself and glory. Okay, so what's what's being said here? That there is a greater distance between the nature of the highest angel and grace than there is between grace itself and glory. That sanctifying grace in the human soul is closer to the glory of the Most Holy Trinity than the highest archangel is to the glory of the Most Holy Trinity. No created nature, however perfect, is the germ of grace, whereas grace is indeed the germ or the seed of eternal life. Hence, when a sinner is absolved in the confessional, an event occurs which is proportionally of greater importance than the entrance of a just soul into heaven. This doctrine is expressed by Pascal in one of the finest pages of his Pensées, quote, The infinite distance which separates bodies from spirits is a symbol of the infinitely more infinite distance which separates spirits from charity, that is, from, from uh, supernatural love, for, for charity is supernatural. It's a, basically a repetition of what Gerigou Lagrange just said when he was uh, citing St. Thomas, which is that that the, that the distance between the created world and the uncreated Most Holy Trinity is greater than the distance between any two things in the created world. And the um, sanctifying grace in the human soul is actually not part of the created world. It's basically part of divinity. I hope, I hope I'm doing justice to that. Anyway, continuing. Luther erred fundamentally, therefore, when he tried to explain justification not by the infusion of a grace and charity which remits sin, but merely by faith in Christ, making it consist simply in the extrinsic imputation of the merits of Christ an imputation which covers sins without destroying them, and thus leaves the sinner in his filth and corruption. According to the, um, let me. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to get bogged down in the contrast between the um, Luther's view of justification and the Catholic view. So, um, anyway, I'll, I'm trying to skip this. I'm not succeeding. According to his view, there was no regeneration of the will by the supernatural love of God and men. We have seen, on the contrary, what is the teaching of the scriptures and of tradition. Faith and the extrinsic imputation of the justice of Christ are not sufficient for the justification or conversion of the sinner. He must be willing, in addition, to observe the commandments, above all, the two great commandments of the love of God and the love of one's neighbor. Quote, if any one love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Quote, he that abideth in charity abideth in God, and God in him. According to the true nature teaching of Christ, we are in an order far transcending natural morality. Our unaided reason tells us that it is our duty to love God, the author of our nature, and to love him effectively, that is, by observing his commandments. But even this natural duty we are unable to fulfill without the help of God's grace, 
so weakened are our wills in consequence of original sin. Still less are we able by our natural powers alone to love God, the author of grace. For this love is of an essentially supernatural order, as supernatural for the angels as it is for us. Such is the supernatural life which we received in baptism, and this is what constitutes our interior life. Remember, this whole book is about um, basically the interior life and and um, paying attention, the, the attention that the Christian should pay to his interior life because of the purpose of life on earth being basically the development of the interior life in order to already begin eternal life while still on earth. As a matter of fact, seems to be exactly where uh, Gergou Lagrange uh, is going right now. This beginning of eternal life, as we have called it, is a complete spiritual organism which has to grow and develop until we enter heaven. The root principle of this undying organism is sanctifying grace received in the very essence of the soul, and this grace would last forever were it not that sin, a radical disorder in the soul, sometimes destroys it. From sanctifying grace, which is the germ of glory, proceed the infused virtues. First, the theological virtues, the greatest of which, charity, is destined to last forever. Quote, charity never falls away, says St. Paul. Now there remain faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. That's from 1 Corinthians 13. Charity will remain forever, after faith has disappeared to make room for vision, after hope has been displaced by the everlasting possession of God, seen face to face. In addition to the theological virtues, the theological virtues having been just mentioned, faith, hope, and love, there are also the infused moral virtues, which perfect man in his use of the means of salvation, just as the former dispose him rightly in regard to his end. The infused moral virtues are like so many functions admirably, admirably adopted, adapted one to another, infinitely surpassing in perfection those of our physical organism. They are called prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, together with the other virtues which are associated with them. Finally, in order to supply the deficiencies of these virtues which, in the twilight of faith and under the direction of prudence, still act in too human a fashion, we are given the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. These are like the sails on a ship. They dispose us to receive obediently and promptly the breathing that comes from on high, the special inspirations of God, inspirations which enable us to act no longer in merely human fashion but divinely, with that alacrity which we need in order to run in the way of God, undismayed by any obstacles. See, you you thought that that uh, mystical theology was was complicated, <laughs> right? Was was kind of woo woo out there. It's extremely practical, right? It's just it's just the working of grace in the soul, and it's just. Um, it's just the kind of divine owner's manual for life on earth. The owner's manual that comes from heaven, not the owner's manual that comes from, uh, you know, our physical natures. Uh, continuing. What the most brilliant of human minds, what even the intelligence of the angels could never have discovered, 
divine revelation has disclosed to us. You note that everything that I've been reading from Gérard Lagrange is coming straight from divine revelation. It's coming straight from the Gospels and to some extent from the letters of Paul, right? It's all straight from the scriptures. There's nothing that he is like adding. He's, he's explaining, he's explicating, he's drawing things out. But none of it is being made up by him. It's all straight from the scriptures. Revelation tells us that our last end is essentially supernatural and that it consists in seeing God immediately face to face as he is. Um, that seems to be from Romans 8. And, oh no, that isn't it. And Never mind, I'm, I'm misreading the footnote. God has predestined us to be made conformable to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the quote from Romans 8. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man what things God has prepared for them that love him. That's from 1 Corinthians. We are destined to see God not merely in the mirror of creatures, however perfect these may be, but to see him immediately, without the intermediary of any creature, and even without the medium of any created idea, for no created idea, however perfect, could ever represent as he really is one who has thought himself infinite truth, the eternally subsistent brightness of intelligence, and the living flame of measureless love. That's what awaits us, boys and girls. That's what awaits us. That's that's what the stakes we're playing for are. It really, um, you know, leaves whatever his name is, Elon Musk in the dust, right? Or Jeff Bezos in the dust. They think they're playing for high stakes when they're playing for $10 billion here or there, or $30 billion here or there, or half a trillion dollars here or there. That's chump change compared to what we're really playing for. We are destined to see all the divine perfections concentrated and intimately united in their common source deity. We are destined to see how the tenderest mercy and the most inexorable justice proceed from the one love which is infinitely generous and infinitely holy, how this love, even in its freest choice, is identically one with pure wisdom, how there is nothing in the divine love which is not wise, nothing in the divine wisdom which is not synonymous with love. We are destined to contemplate the eminent simplicity of God, his absolute purity and sanctity, to see the infinite fecundity of the divine nature in the procession of the three persons, to contemplate the eternal generation of the word, the, quote, brightness of the Father's glory and the figure of his substance, that's from the letter to the Hebrews, to see the ineffable breathing of the Holy Spirit, the issue of the common love of the Father and the Son, which unites them in the most complete outpouring of themselves. The good tends naturally to diffuse itself, and the greater the good, the more abundant and intimate is its self-giving. None can tell the joy and the love which this vision will produce in us, a love of God so pure and so strong that nothing will ever be able to destroy or in the slightest degree to diminish it. Wow. Okay. Continuing, in no way, therefore, can we express more clearly the preciousness 
of sanctifying grace or of the true interior life than by saying that it is a beginning of eternal life. Here on earth we know God only by faith, and while we hope one day to possess him, we are able, unfortunately, to lose him by sin. But apart from these two differences, it is fundamentally the same life, the same sanctifying grace, and the same charity, which is to last through all eternity. So, basically, being in a state of grace, living in a state of grace on earth, is already beginning, is already starting our life in heaven. Literally. In no way, therefore, can we express more clearly the preciousness of sanctifying grace or of the true interior life than it by saying it is a beginning of eternal life. This is the fundamental truth of Christian spirituality. Consequently, our interior life must be a life of humility, for we must remember always that the principle of that life, sanctifying grace, is a gratuitous gift, and that we need an actual grace for the slightest salutary act for the shortest step forward in the way of salvation. It must also be a life of mortification, as St. Paul says. We must be always bearing about in our body the mortification of Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our bodies. That's from 2 Corinthians. That is to say, we must daily, more and more, die to sin and to the relics that sin leaves in us, so that God may reign more completely in us even to the depth of the soul. But above all, our interior life must be a life of faith, hope, charity, and union with God by unceasing prayer. It is above all the life of the three theological virtues and of the gifts of the Holy Spirit which accompany them, the gifts of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, piety, counsel, fortitude, and fear of the Lord. In this way we shall enter into the mysteries of faith and relish them more and more. In other words, our whole interior life tends toward the supernatural contemplation of the mysteries of the inner life of God and of the Incarnation and Redemption. It tends, above all, towards a more intimate union with God, a preliminary to that union with Him, ever actual and perpetual, which will be the consummation of eternal life. Wow. Wow. Um, oh, I know what I wanted to end with. I'm coming to the end of the hour, and um, I wanted to end with a prayer um, that actually comes from the same book, from Gergou Lagrange. And just um, in case you missed it the first two or three times I repeated it, I've been reading from a very short and accessible book, if I can say so, called The Three Ways of the Spiritual Life, A Brief Outline of the Main Principles of Ascetical and Mystical Theology, by Father Reginald Gergou Lagrange. That's a hyphenated last name. Anyway, and he, um, he ends the book with a prayer. So, <clears throat> what practical conclusion are we to draw from all this? We ought to say and repeat this prayer to our blessed Lord. Lord, Teach me to know the obstacles that, consciously or unconsciously, I am placing in the way of your grace in me. Give me the strength to put them aside, and if I am negligent therein, vouchsafe yourself to remove them, however, I'm, however much I may suffer thereby. 
What would you have me do for you this day, my God? Show me what it is in me that displeases you. Teach me rightly to value the precious blood which you did shed for me, of the sacramental or spiritual communion by which we are enabled to drink that blood from the wound of your most loving heart. Make me, O Lord, to grow in love of thee. Grant that our inner conversation may never cease, that I may never separate myself from thee, that I may receive all that thou dost deign to give me, and that I may not stand in the way of grace, which through me should be poured out upon other souls to give them light and life. Amen. I am going to repeat that prayer, and that will take me to the end of my hour. Lord, teach me to know the obstacles that, consciously or unconsciously, I am placing in the way of thy grace in me. Give me the strength to put them aside, and if I am negligent therein, vouchsafe thyself to remove them, howsoever I may suffer thereby. What wouldst thou have me to do for thee this day, my God? Show me what it is in me that displeases thee. Teach me rightly to value the precious blood which thou didst shed for me of the sacramental or spiritual communion by which we are enabled to drink that blood from the wound of thy most loving heart. Make me, O Lord, to grow in love of thee. Grant that our inner conversation may never cease, that I may never separate myself from thee, that I may receive all that thou dost deign to give me, and that I may not stand in the way of the grace which through me should be poured out upon other souls to give them light and life. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And uh, with that, we've come to the end of our hour. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, uh, with me, your host, Roy Shoman, on Radio Maria. And um, I hope you join us again next week, same time, same place. And I will go out, so to speak, with that uh, beautiful hymn that we had in our musical break, Come, Lord Jesus, Come, Lord Jesus, Come, Lord Jesus, Come in the second coming, but in between now and then, come in our souls, animate our souls, uh, affect this transformation in us so that our time here on earth may be the beginning of our eternal life. And with that, it's Roy Shoman saying goodbye for now and back to Harper Day singing, Come Lord Jesus. Señor Jesús Maranatha, ven 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 Señor Jesús Maranatha.
Señor Jesús, 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 Señor